I've almost quit on this project for like a lot of times, you know, because it wasn't my comfort zone, right? I had to learn a lot of stuff. I had to fail a lot. So I was in the flow cytometry at MIT, the Cook Institute, and it's like, this is it. Like, you know, it's like Michael Jordan, you know, uh, making a shot uh, 10 seconds at a time. The, the full cytometry happened, like the populations are right. We went to sequencing, that's like the final, that's the final check. And if like any errors in the sequencing, because we didn't really like, we were not thinking of oh, error correction back in the day. Like, so any error on that base, if in the sequence, there is, if there's any sequence, we won't get the picture of Lincoln. Like we would have, like, and so I saw the picture of Lincoln. I'm like, and I told my, uh, are you sure this is? <laughs> uh, I couldn't believe it. Like, yeah, we just pulled out Lincoln. That was the beginning of like, let's let's just finish this, and I think we we got something. Welcome to Tough Tech Today with Mayan and Miller. This is the premier show featuring trailblazers who are building technologies today to solve tomorrow's toughest challenges. I am Jay Mill uh, of Tough Tech Today with with mine and Miller. I run a research and venture company um, and and so work very closely with Airbus Ventures um, on on. So te- assessing the new technologies, frontier tech that's coming down the down the pipeline, and seeing how that, what the world's going to be, and what kind of um, what kind of teams are really building building that future. And so, from autonomous systems to space and other forms of like sort of satellite systems and propulsion, um, and, and everywhere in between. I'm Forrest Mayan, the other co-host. Uh, just two seconds on my background. I'm a senior member of the technical staff at Draper Labs in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And I'm also part of our basically space systems engineering group. And I also do our startup outreach. I'm a program manager with our similar startup outreach office. Yeah, I'm James Manal. I'm a postdoc um, in the Bi- Department of Biological Engineering at MIT, Professor Mark Potts lab. Um, I work on like the wackiest things in, 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 in um, computing and storage right now, which is on quantum computing and on DNA data storage. So those are the two things that I'm you know, fascinated by right now, what keeps me busy, what keeps me awake. DNA storage is certainly in a really interesting area because of its, its unconventional computing, its unconventional storage. Um, and so you know, looking at, this is, this is a couple of years several years, decade, maybe, in terms of the future that, that you're building, James. But you've got the front row seat on this. Like you're you're the you're the maker of this. So I think it would be helpful to understand like paint a picture of what this world could look like as you're uh, of what you're working on right now. It's pretty exciting area. Um so actually, just just way of stepping back a little bit, it's like how I was introducing DNA, DNA data storage was like I came in 2016 at MIT, and basically my PI told me um, you're gonna work on this and you're gonna work on DNA data storage. And um, I remember I had the Trello board where I put DNA, DNA data storage as like my back burner um, because it's like it's too wacky. I don't know if there's anything useful there. I, don't, I didn't believe it, and then. Um, you know, I did a little, a little bit of reading, following up on on a lot of the papers, and then and what I, I realized is that the um, what it what the data density is just so immense that you can literally replace 
a Facebook data center that occupies, you know, a huge massive area uh, somewhere in, in, in Oregon into the size of a, a sugar cube, for example. All that data squeezed into the size of a sugar cube. And so that, that really fascinated me because, you know, the, uh, those data centers, um, you know, they, it, most of them is just uh, empty space. And you, if you can, and there's like energy constraint, energy uses. You know, I came from a solar cell background. So for me, energy is uh, something I, I, I care about. And so like when I heard of DNA data storage and uh, what it can do, like it's a passive um, data storage facility, I got super interested into uh, uh, building that. And so what I imagine the future would be is like, you can put you know, all the data that you have on Facebook uh, and you know, just put it on your, like basically, I don't know, in your pocket, um, you know, petabytes of data. Um, basically, you don't have to delete anything again, right? So that that's that's the promise of data data storage. Uh, and and you know, the, I don't know if you guys watch the 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 show um, Silicon Valley. Uh, I was a big fan of that show. Uh, and then one of the episodes there, um, they were talking about compression and like data getting, and like you know, there was this white paper from the International Data Center. Uh, that that predicts we're gonna run out of silicon uh, by like 2025, which is like <laughs> pretty close already. Uh, uh, and that we're gonna have silicon to store all the data in the world. Um, so we need to uh, start looking into uh, alternative data storage um, approaches. So that that to me, uh, that to me spoke that that show spoke to me about you know like data get in like. I, I don't want to have a future where we're going to have data rations and, and, and that. And so, uh, yeah, for me, the future would be like, you know, everyone democratize, everyone has their, like, from DNA, everyone will have their own data center in their pocket. So that, that to me is uh, a worth, uh, worth investing my time and energy on. It's it's super dense storage of data, but are there challenges with like read and write speed? Like, how, how do you actually read the data off DNA? Yeah, so right now, the way to do it is you basically write, the way to write data first uh, is to, um, we use a very old chemistry. And it's very old from like the, maybe in the 70s or 80s uh, chemistry. And then miniaturizing that, instead of like flask, miniaturizing that into droplets, uh, in microarrays really. Uh, and you start writing that uh, one letter at a time. Um, but there's a limit to how much length of data you can write so that you can like multiple um, strands of DNA uh, and you, you write it simultaneously um, up to 200 base pairs. Um, and beyond that, you sort of like have diminishing returns on the, um, um, the amount of, 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 of um, DNA you get. Still a very slow process, right? So, you know... Uh, like how slow? If I want to save a 10 megapixel photo. Or... Yeah, so I mean, uh, so there, there's, there's a lot of different approaches. Um, one one approach that um, right now, I think the, the numbers I, I, I've seen is like 1,000 terabits a day of, of writing um, is, 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 is now feasible. Um, so that's like something from catalog DNA. Um, they, they, uh, they were doing that printing DNA at, at like 1,000 terabits a day, which is, you know, Compared to modern uh, CPU uh, computing or, or uh, computing architectures, it's it's really not uh, you know not yet comparable. But you know, it, we're still the early age stages. So I I am I'm, I'm hesitant to say that you know it won't be faster. It, it won't get fast. It won't it won't necessarily be faster because you know you know it, it, it can't be faster than electrons at some point. Um, but but you know 
chemistry will uh, chemistry and you know very hard engineering like miniaturizing the volumes significantly to squeeze a lot of more unique DNA into tiny tiny spaces would be the the next thing to go um, parallelization uh, and so it's really really slow so a thousand terabits a day is I think what's feasible right now now the upside to that though I mean despite the slow read speed or yeah. sorry, the right the slow write speed is that DNA storage has the, um, I'll say that the, the evidence shows that it, it could stay in a, as, as, a, as a storage medium for measured in decades, right? Like half a century or so with, with not as much energy input as you would need to with, say, the magnetic disks that we would commonly use or perhaps even like comparable to, to tape perhaps, right? Yeah, so that's that's the promise of DNA data storage is really it for archival. Like it's, it's still probably first in class to archival storage, right? Um, you know, I don't know if you guys watch uh, Jurassic Park, but like that's like an analogy uh, I usually use to people who don't, who don't um, like want to have a grasp of like like how long DNA can last. Like you know, like it's you can you can get DNA out of fossils. Uh, so that's how long DNA uh, can last. So that like that's one of the like biggest advantage of DNA is really the longevity. That's that's the upside of like um, of that as a storage um, platform. So yeah, definitely the archival. Um, you know, there, there there there's not a lot of the storage um, approaches right now can even come close to how long DNA data like how long story data can be stored on on DNA. So that's that's basically a different category of DNA uh, of storage of data storage. Where do you store the DNA? Like, is it in like a big vat of like DNA fluid, or is it <laughs> like laid out on like a silicon wafer? Like, what does that even look like? Yeah. So so that that's a, that's a good question. Um, so there's a lot of different flavors. Um, so the the answer to that question is we have to go start with how do you first access the data because that actually um, that's actually how you're going to figure out how you're going to store them in a very different way. So right now, the most uh, the common way to access data using DNA storage is using polymerase chain reaction or PCR. Uh, what basically is you basically have a homing molecule that targets a specific you know ID on specific data you want to target. That ID could be the metadata of that of that uh, of that data you want to access, and then you basically do a, a, a polymerase uh, chain reaction. You you amplify that target many many times, and and then you put it in the sequencer. Um, and so that process of like that molecule homing into the that 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 the the thing that you want to access uh is you know based on the watson crick based pairing basically um you know the the atcg sort of base pairing um uh, that that we all know from from um you know high school biology i guess Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that process is, you know, there's a certain limit to like how uh, the specificity of that, and like in a large vat of like you can imagine a large vat of DNA, and you put that homing, like there will be some words that will be partially like, you know, sticking together, you know, even though they're not perfectly complementary. In other words, they're like the the base pairing is not always perfect. 
but there will be some partial uh, interactions, and actually actually goes uh, go makes your uh, retrieval system out of whack. So there's the the number of molecules you can put in in that vat is limited because of that. So so one way to to like some some folks like the like the Microsoft research team who has really pioneered a lot of this um, in the, the area uh, is to use uh, droplets of DNA with like you know, a certain amount of data and barcoding in there and then separating them into really this tiny tiny droplets and then merging okay. them yeah so it's like microfluidics approaches oh uh, cool yeah. And the other way we we're doing it right now is differently. So in our lab, we did it differently. Um, so what if we really just limit the the you know the the, the interaction of the target molecule and the the homing molecule to just the the metadata itself? Like the internal data is limited, so therefore the number of the probability of finding like you know partial interactions becomes lower because of that. And that's 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 our sort of like innovation recently in the lab that um, you know we've, we've we've been pushing forward. And so that's. And so that, and, and so what it looks like now, all of a sudden, instead of like large number of tiny, tiny pools, you can have very small, tiny pools because there's a limit still, um, you know, that um, how many unique data you can have in that tiny pool. So, so that's how it will look like in the future. It's like it's basically a wet computer. It's not going to be a dry computer. That's for sure. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I almost picture like a, like a, a an aquarium sort of thing or full of the sea monkeys or like an ant colony, like a, almost like a zoo. But yeah. I, I, I guess it's more like a, you know, it's not quite as as animated as as that. <laughs> is it E. coli ultimately, or it's it's even more fundamental than? Uh, like in terms of writing uh, of like what's the what's the dna you want to write on um so yes, yeah. yeah it's highly customized so it's not it's not definitely like so the way the like the microsoft team has done and i'm just going to talk about them because they're really the pioneers in this um they what they did was highly customized sequences that you know like i was telling earlier about microarrays literally a silicon wafer with you know tiny tiny strands of dna poking out and then synthesizing that through microarray synthesis. And so it's highly customized. It's not, you know, doesn't encode uh, specifically for an organism. Um, the way we did it is we use um, the bacterial machinery um, just because we want to make the beauty of DNA data storage also is not just the archivals because you can make millions and billions of copies of that by taking okay. advantage of the bacterial machinery, right? So and, if you want to like, you know, share share some music really fast and rip a bunch of CDs. You could use a, a DNA method to make just billions of <laughs> DNA CDs really quick. Yeah, like for example, like if I go to say, if I'm the the large hadron collider, like um, you know, like they they have like you know serious, you know, probably close to exabytes of data right now from the those experiments. Like I want to make copies of this, like hundreds of copies of this. Try doing that on a, on, on today's technology. I don't know. I can't even like imagine the, the difficulty of doing that. But with 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 um you know with with with, with biology, thinking about that, it's like makes millions of copies. Like it's nobody's mm -hmm. business uh, with very low energy. Like trying to do that with current technology, it's gonna take a lot huh. of energy. Yeah. Oh, awesome. The, the Pirate Bay of DNA. I didn't exactly. Know <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> uh, well, what James? What's driving you to to work on on this? Because this is this is awesome. Oh, it's because it's super hard. Like, there's a lot of uh, like, like you know, I think it's like the common theme theme in MIT is like 
you do very hard problems that <laughs> like the solutions are not very obvious and so like mm-hmm. it's just super hard like um it's not like you need a Nobel Prize winning idea to, to, to solve the problem. No, it's not necessarily that. It's just the, it's a very hard engineering problem right now, I think, for DNA data storage to get to, to the market. It's really just figuring out how do we miniaturizing thing, how do we miniaturize things, how do we make reaction volumes tiny enough that you know we're not using a lot of reagents and stuff like that. And so there's nothing Nobel Prize winning about that because but it's just really hard engineering. And that's you know, that's uh, that's what keeps me interested in the area and what keeps wants me to keep pushing um, getting this out into the market. I think there's there's a lot of potential here. Um, it's just, you know, really hard engineering. Yeah. So, so you mentioned pushing to get it out in the market. So yeah. you're trying to form this or you've already formed this into a venture and you're pursuing commercialization of this technology? Yeah, we're, we're, we're definitely thinking about that, uh, you know, making a venture out of it. Um, you know, the I think the, the next step for DNA storage is not just, you know, you, you've talked about earlier about reading writing. You know, there, there are players that are working on that. But, but really... I think it's it, it needs to be in a point where we start build, thinking about a full stack approach mm-hmm. where you have not only the reading writing but the access the random access right like if if it's just reading and writing uh, that's going to be bad because you know if, even if you can write an exabyte of data if you need to find a kilobyte of data out of an exabyte by reading the entire exabyte of data that's going to be super bad and wasteful so you need to be able to. Uh, somehow random access um, some of those. And uh, building uh, sort of like that uh, interface to me is an interesting problem. The other interesting thing that um, that needs like needs to be worked out, like I think that's why we're thinking about the venture is like how will it actually, how will a customer like yourself would interface with it? Will it be the same like as the Amazon web server? Will it be something like, you know, like how Dropbox is? And it, like, you know, so those are the things that, that I think is worthwhile. You know, it's not going to be interesting from a lab, from a lab, you know, academic lab, but will be interesting for a venture, uh, like like what we're planning to to launch on. Yep. When you came to, to MIT in 2016, uh, it sounded like some the, the the early stages of this project was was sort of like, okay, James, you're going to work on this. How how is it different than what your application and your like your statement or your research statement was? Uh, yeah, it sort of evolved, really. Um, uh, so you know, when you're gonna work, when when I was given this project, um, it, it was it was definitely um, out of my comfort zone, and, and because I came from solar photovoltaics, and uh, but but um, you know, I'm always willing to do like go out of my out of my way and try to figure out something new. Um, but but it's sort of like um, the 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 funniest thing is that I. Just, Started to like learn about computer science a little bit. Started to learn about a little bit about synthetic biology. I uh, had really good um, uh, lab mates who were like very patient with me uh, on this project. Who worked with me and and you know were basically my co-authors in the paper who who, who guided me in, in, into this uh, you know journey that we are so far. And and, and basically, I was an organic chemist and a physical chemist were like was always like looking at lasers and you know shooting stuff on a on a on the glass that has some colored stuff on it to like someone who's like now messing with biology and trying to integrate it with with uh with 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 uh some some new materials that we that we thought we could be useful for so it sort of definitely evolved like for the research statement of um 
of, of like, yeah, I just gonna solve this problem to like, let's try to solve the entire uh, full stack problem of DNA data storage. What what does ten year old you think about it? Ten year old James. <laughs> Uh, uh, definitely, I think 10-year-old James would say, that, yeah, you're crazy. <laughs> Why would you do something that, you know, you, you know, I've always been in the um, physics, chemistry side of things. And, like, I'm going into biology now and, like, like you're crazy. <laughs> Why would you attempt that? But it, it's been a fun journey. It's been a good When you were 10, you were in the, the physics and chemistry side of things? I, I'm de- I was definitely, my parents were in... Um, were in the government, the science government uh, in okay. the Philippines. Uh, they were working. Uh, my, my dad was a, and funny enough, my dad was a zoologist and my mom is microbiologist. But I hated, they always bring me into their lab and <laughs> and I didn't <laughs> like doing it. And then, but there was a- And now you're going in on the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> like my mom would ask me to count the number of cells on, uh, uh, sorry, number of like, uh, yeah, the colonies on, on a, a Petri dish or something like, uh, something like that. Uh, uh, for free <laughs> but then there was a chemistry lab upstairs in, in their in their office that I would go up to and then like uh, and then I would there was a physicist who, um, in there um, was a volcanologist really who I would talk to about and yeah I was I was definitely from like always fascinated by physics and chemistry and biology is like eh. like my dad would have like would show me how to kill a rat for like the like uh, medical medical um, stuff so it was definitely <laughs> I think my friends would be very proud that I've I've, I've come to the to the, to the dark side <laughs> <laughs> what, a, what a childhood <laughs> yeah wait so when, when would you say what how old were you when you first started counting cells uh, I would say I was um, seven years old I remember and the reason oh, why wow. I remember this vividly because um, that's when I started to be really fascinated by science. My my dad gave gave me this World Almanac for Kids, nineteen ninety seven, um, mm-hmm. and there's like so many like things about science in there. And then my 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 aunt gave me this book about space, about dinosaurs, and that's like yeah, that's that's where my science journey began. It's like uh, I got fascinated by space actually. Um, so that's that's basically how I got into like science early on, but. But definitely not like in a two-year-old, like some of those uh, prodigious people. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That sounds pretty early uh, <laughs> to be working in a bio lab. I know I wasn't doing that when I was seven. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I hated like, you know, like when you count. Um, so we, I remember, I hope my mom doesn't listen to this. Because <laughs> um, um, she, she would ask me to count like colonies. And there's like this code, like uh, too many to read. TM, uh, TMTR that you would put if it's like more than like if it's just so hard to count and I would always put mm-hmm. TMTR <laughs> to both of them because it's so so boring and like I can't believe we're doing this still uh, I think it's like, automated and I wish I learned about um, machine learning back in the day I, can, I think I can automate that <laughs> but anyway I was a kid uh, so that's, that's what it is that was cheap labor Exactly. <laughs> That's what kids are for. Your own kids. <laughs> I have a two-year-old, so I'm going to start putting them to work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just, there, with, you, you said that this is like, um, it's, this is such a challenge. Like this is, this is a big, big problem area with so many unknowns. And it, is there something that when 
when you feel like it's, you know, this is like, yeah, this is hard. I kind of feel like quitting. Have you felt, have you a felt like, you know what, maybe there's something else I should be working on besides this big problem. And then secondly, since you're, you're still working on it, what, what's helps bring you back to the, back to the lab to do this yeah. hard stuff? Yeah. I mean, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I think, you know, like I've almost quit on this project for like a lot of times, you know, because it wasn't my comfort zone. Right. I had to learn a lot of stuff. I had to fail a lot. Um, so that, that like, because, because it's not on my area. So I didn't know the tools. I didn't know like, Oh, you shouldn't do this. Like, you know, for example, if you have very long DNA, you shouldn't like pipette very rigorously. It will just, just break up. So I didn't know that. And like, my PCR were failing and, 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 and basically like all my experiments were failing. So definitely there was a lot of, um, I, I, there was a point where I think 2018, I went to my PI's office. Uh, basically I told him like, you know, I've tried everything that I can, you know, I don't think I'm, I'm up for it. And then I gave him slides of all my progress and, and I asked him like, maybe we can contact this professor who would be like, probably more as better people to do it and then and then it wasn't it was a friday afternoon and then and then he said yeah well, I'll, let's let's mull it over on the weekend and i'll send send me those slides and then you know let's go back uh you know let's meet up on monday again um to see if i should send it or not and then the weekend came and then monday came and then we, we had a meeting again and basically basically said uh no you can do it i know you can <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like he basically told me to like do the project again. And you know, I, I gave him a lot of credit for like really believing in me, even though I was not the right person for the task and like failing. I failed a lot for two years. I had uh, negative data until like I got my first positive data, uh, 2019, uh, around July when uh, he went to Croatia and I was like, um, this is my last chance, you know, like Michael Jordan, fourth quarter, uh, 40 seconds of the clock. Uh, you know, I, I need to make something uh, like I've learned so much. I'm so many failures and I have to figure out something. And so I just kept pushing. And, you know, like for me, they, you know, if I, if I gave up 2000, in 2018, if like I listened to myself, my PI just said, yeah, yeah, you know, you're not capable of it. Um, you know, it would have been a different story, but, you know, I, it's all credit to him for like believing in me and, um, uh, trusting that uh, I, would, I would I would I would try my best to like figure it out so yeah I mean for like um, th those challenging years of, of failures uh, after failures two years uh, or, or uh, two years or three years um, what came me forced me to come back in the lab you know even now right coming back in the lab is it's just you know sometimes you just try a new idea like you know like there's this there's this quote from like you know there's there's ten thousand ways I think from Thomas Edison there are ten thousand ways to fail you only need one way to make it work and and so you know that 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 rest that that is like sort of the thing that always in my mind uh, back of my mind is a very important thing that a scientist or anyone entrepreneur or, or whatever uh, that you need to have it's like you will face ten thousand fail ten thousand ways to fail but you know you just need one way to make it work. Uh, and so, you know, it, if there was like a very good story behind where we are right now, that will be a, like a lot of failures until we found that uh, magic, ma magic sauce that, that made it work. Yeah. So explain how you felt when you saw that positive data. And oh. like, what, what were you doing? Like, what, what is it? What does the positive data even look like? Yeah, so I was in the flow cytometry in MIT, the Cook Institute. And it's like, this is it. 
like you know it's like michael jordan you know uh making a shot uh 10 seconds in the time and then the 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 signal on the flow cytometer uh you know the the, the data points came in and i was like huh <laughs> it's exactly what it should be I'm like i well, my first reaction was I was skeptic. If there's one, if there's one skeptic of my work, I'm like probably the biggest skeptic of my work. Uh, I don't know if like my people who work with me probably doesn't know that, but like I would spend hours and hours trying to convince myself this is true. You know, I'm 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 always a skeptic when something like goes work. Like if you've been if you've been failing for two years and something works, I'm like, you, 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 you start to be skeptic. This is like unusual. This, that, that's like, that becomes the like the unusual thing. <laughs> it's not right? supposed to work. <laughs> okay, exactly. <laughs> it's not supposed to work. But, uh, yeah. So yeah, I spent, I look at the data, uh, and then repeat it again, repeat it again until like, okay, I need to show this to my PI when he comes back from Croatia. And, and, and basically, yeah, I was like hoping someone would tell me you're an idiot, you're, you're, you're biased, but yeah, everyone said like, wow, it actually works. <laughs> so, so, you know, that, that became the, uh, that, that, that was a sigh of relief that until like someone said, ah, wow, it actually worked. You know, um, yeah, I'm, I'm the biggest pessimist of my own work and biggest critic of my own work. Were you trying to save like a particular message? Like, hello world? No, no, we're actually, we're, what, what we were doing back then was to get out, uh, the picture of, um, what do you call this? A picture of uh, Abraham Lincoln from a pool of data. And oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I was trying to build like the Google search engine. Like, like I would, I would right. put it in the So you key. pull it up and it's just a picture of Abraham Lincoln and that's how you knew it was real? And you're like, eh, it actually doesn't look like Lincoln. It looks like Washington. I don't no, know if this so, data's right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, it was like, I remember like seeing that data, uh, like, so, so the, the, the full cytometry happened, like the populations are right. And then we went to sequencing. That's like the final, that's the final check. And if like any errors in the sequencing, because we didn't really like, we were not thinking of oh, error correction back in the day. Like, so any error on that base if, in the sequence, there if there's any sequence, we won't get the picture of Lincoln. Like we would have, mm. like, and so I saw the picture of Lincoln. I'm like, and I told my, uh, are you sure this is correct? <laughs> uh, I couldn't believe it. Like. Yeah, we just pulled out Lincoln, and it, it wasn't like we we're like pulling the name Lincoln out of the pool. We were doing like how would you do it in Google, like uh, like president and um, eighteen uh, and not eighteenth century, for example, because we had Washington also in that pool of uh, image. We wanted to pull out uh, Abraham mm -hmm. using a Boolean search query, and we got out Lincoln, and and, and basically that, that 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 was it. That was the that was the beginning of like let let's just finish this, and I think we we got something. Uh, so that that was a. Uh, Interesting time. So 2019 is definitely up there. You know, <laughs> uh, 2020 is definitely just <laughs> not going so well. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that that's that's basically uh, the, that feeling was was definitely uh, something that um, I, I really like. You, you mentioned like you were able to use boolean operators on this data and yeah. get yeah. a search result. Um, that, that you expected to, or not, that you did not expect to, but you were hoping for deep down. So then is one of the next phases somewhere on the pipeline to be able to, to apply the machine learning algorithms on top of this, this presumably like large massive data that you have stored? Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, that's the beauty of DNA as well is, you know, 
one thing that 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 people should remember is that DNA is all our molecules, and like all other molecules, they do reactions in three D volume, and that's a very huge interaction space. Like, uh, and so you can basically think of DNA, and this is like the the whole concept of DNA um, computing back in the day started as like this this massive degree of parallelization. Almost like you can think about it as like you have an Avogadro's number, um, six to six six times to the twenty third number of CPUs that you can use uh, to do some computation. And you know, I don't think any computer right now can uh, that has that amount of CPU power. Uh, and so that's um, that's like the, the 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 next big thing is like how can we use this platform? We can now boolean logic, cool. Um, but then I think the next step would be like, can we apply some some of those uh, machine learning uh, um, operations and stuff like that um, for um, data storage, where it becomes not only just a static storage, now it becomes a computing platform. And uh, there's there's again, this is coming from the Microsoft group that they recently uh, put in a put in a preprint, wherein they were able to do um, uh, machine learning on a data set of data images. So basically, how a gig um, they they basically they basically show like uh, how would you uh, how an image Google search engine would work on a DNA data storage system, uh, and so like you will have like for example when you just look for a black uh, sort of black cat you'll have an uh, array of different uh, results that you'll get from Google images and basically they they were showing uh, a similar operation on a DNA data system, and so that that is a interesting direction for the field and I think that's going to be an important asset for DNA data storage as we move forward. I mean, the, like, with all these capabilities, who knows what, 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 it, what, what the future could be. So when you're, when you're building up your company and trying to spin this out into a venture, who's, I mean, who's going to buy this? Who's your first customer? Who's the person that really needs a solution and, you know, is, is ready to, you know, give you, give you some money to store and, multiply massive amounts of data. Yeah. Uh, I mean, um, so assuming, you know, we solve DNA, right? We solve DNA read costs and like everything becomes, you know, hunky-dory. Sure. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with that assumption. I would say, you know, the biggest ones would be um, those who would have uh, large amounts of archival data like Facebook okay. or, or Twitter. Um, you know, I, I think most data, most social media companies, they are, they're, they're the biggest culprits why we were like get, heading in towards um, this data get in. It's like we're producing a lot of data than we, uh, right now, right? For social media, you know, I just learned about TikTok because of coronavirus. TikTok, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like my, I was like, oh my God, it's like so many videos. I'm like, and, and they're all, I'm not, I'm not even going to go to the argument. Like people are just copying other people's dances. You know, I'm not going to even start in that discussion. But like, <laughs> oh, well, well, we'll make it, we'll make a tough tech today TikTok. So. <laughs> Before we let you go, we'll do one of the dances. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, James, you mentioned, you mentioned a term, um, is it data getting? Yeah. What 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 is it? Walk our audience through what that could be. Yeah, it's actually like a coin a word I uh, I got from a show from Silicon Valley, the show Silicon Valley from HBO. It's uh it's basically to a point where you know we're running out of data that uh, that we can use. Uh, so we're running out of storage we can use to store data. And that scenario could be to like like the HBO shows. Uh, it's a parody of, of of Silicon Valley, really. But it's like it's, it's an idea that I has like um, that actually resonated with me. It's like when to when we get to a point where 
the amount of data we've generated is uh, is like reaching to the capacity of what's possible right now with with silicon based storage like do we start rationing data do we we start like um, you know rationing data for every person in the world you, know, you can only use uh, 500 megabytes uh, for your uh, for this day then you so you're your telling data. me that the like the internet's about to fill up or like like what's the situation like how do we actually run out of data storage can right. you just make uh, more hard drives or are we going to um, run out of materials to make them? Yeah. I mean, like most of the hot data we use right now, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're, we delete them. Right. So some of them gets deleted and, you know, we don't really care, but there are some data we, that, that we generate where we don't want to delete them and they're occupying, um, you know, some, some, you know, basically some in, in the Silicon, uh, and so the how we're gonna run out of, of data is because the, the that data the, the amount of data that we're we're not deleting is increasing, and so we need and we we we're getting to a point we're gonna go to a point where there's not a lot of silicon left in the world to to make uh, um, this this uh, hard drives, um, and so that's oh, that's wow. yeah so that's that's the scary scenario that's the worst case scenario for. Uh, <laughs> Um, you know, like compression can only do so much, right? Like uh -huh. uh, some people would argue, you know, there's there's a lot of ways. You know, Dropbox has has some very interesting um, compression algorithms, but compression can only get you to uh, so far. And so, from the hard drive, uh, sorry, hard, uh, sorry, the um, hardware hardware uh, side of things, you start thinking about. Uh, how much silicon do we have in the world to actually accommodate all this data? And you, if you, someone did the math uh, in the paper in Nature Materials, uh, you know, we, we, we're going to run out of silicons uh, very, very soon. Um, for like, like years, decades? Uh, if, you, if you believe in the um, 2025 um, report, like in, in 10 years or 5 to 10 years, that, that's where you're claiming. But, um, uh, I'm assuming, like you know, I don't think that's gonna happen anytime soon. You know, maybe like there will be some um, some other platform technologies to start to come in and say, you know, let's let's sort of have a band-aid solution to this, while you know the other techno other um, storage technologies. So maybe I, I would I would be conservative and say it's gonna be like in in, in, in decades, maybe twenty years or something like that. Sure. Um, yeah. But in the long run, that means there's tremendous demand for technologies like yours or even your technology. Yeah, that, that's for that's, sure. Because uh, that, that, you know, the, the amount of data we generate, generate is not going to stop anytime. So it's not going to go down. Is uh, it exponential? I, it feels like it's exponential, at least on my hard drive. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think so. I think it's, it's, Especially uh, with all these podcast videos. <laughs> yeah, as well. Uh, yeah, from uh, 1080p to 4K to 8K, then yeah. yeah, 8K. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like just the movie industry itself, right? Yeah, it's they're moving to like 4K now, um, Blu-ray to 4K to 8K uh, quality. Um, so it's kind of just go up, keep going up and up. Uh, and it would start like, you know, there's with apps, social media apps, um, you know, for, for videos like Quibi, for example, I've never heard of it. Someone told me, a friend told me about it and like, there's, a, there's, there's another like TikTok like sort of um, app. So, you know, just mm -hmm. social media is going to keep growing. I don't think it's going to stop. <laughs> uh, so, so definitely we're heading towards that path and how long will it take? It depends on like, 
what kind of managed solutions we have until like we figure out alternative technologies to um, store data uh, in a much more um, sustainable uh, way, scalable and sustainable way. My understanding is that in terms of uh, that DNA storage would be one of the mediums that would help us in sort of a this through this data get in the sort of post silicon storage era. Right. Um, and so DNA that um, aside from support systems, cooling or whatever, whatever is needed, that DNA itself could store the amount of the data generated globally for an entire year could store that in approximately a, a one meter cube. Right. Is that right? Is that consistent with with some of your findings? One me- one meter cube. That's pretty big. Like today, like generated today. Yeah. Yeah. A cubic meter. Of, yeah. Say, I don't know, like modified D- E. coli or whatever to to store that much data. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably close to that. Yeah. Um, it depends on like, um, yeah, I, I, I say it's something close to that. And then the reason why I'm like hesitating is because it's like, are we talking about dry DNA or wet DNA? Uh, so, but yeah. <laughs> So, so yeah, so uh, we're talking fingernails, James, how many fingernails? (laughs) (laughs) So, so, so yeah, I think like, you know, I think the one year cube is a fair, fair number. Um, but that's still pretty dense, right? All the day in the world. Like if you you think about that, like how many Facebook data, data centers would you need? Like they're probably exabyte data centers. So like if one exabyte data center is like equivalent to four football fields, right? Like approximately. Um, and so how many, that's one exabyte and how many exabytes have we generated right now? Probably 200 exabytes or something like that. Uh, I'm just like putting out numbers out there, but I don't know really what's the number. Um, so, so, you know, like four football fields times 200, um, that's the amount of space we need to, uh, keep making. And then, you know, on top of that, keep making, keep making, keep making until we accommodate all the data we have that we've generated right now. So. Um, the IO heating, that's, that's definitely, uh, you know, the terms of sustainability, like the energy required, you know, you have to control the environment still and hard disks um, and, or, and magnetic tapes, right? Um, because they would degrade with, um, you know, very harsh temperature or humidity. So there's definitely um, some, some energy factor in there. So, you, you know, yeah, if you factor all of that, then definitely it's not just the density and the carvel and, you know, the ability to make multiple copies, but also there's a sustainability and scalability of argument you can make for DNA data storage. So how many years until um, you can get a, like a data storage center online? Like, what do you, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, um, so what I'm hoping really is like in five to 10 years, um, you know, we, we, I mean, that, that's a that's a conservative estimate of how long we'll try to figure out DNA right, so that it becomes really really cheap. You know, we need to like, I don't know. I think six orders of magnitude, um, the uh, sort of like drop in cost of DNA synthesis to make it viable uh, as, a, as a DNA data storage at, at the cost right now. Um, you know, it's it takes about you know hundreds of billions of dollars to store a petabyte of data. Uh, so we need to like drop that cost significantly, um, so that you know the the you know the average Joe can can you know accommodate and use that um, sort of um, data storage platform. Um, so that's 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 like five to ten years, and then you know DNA. That's quick. That's quick. I mean, very hard engineering. Uh, you know, if the the thing with 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 this area, I think is there's not there's not a lot of funding. 
um, for uh, DNA for like this this space and there's like some funding well it's so new like i mean a lot of people haven't heard of it (laughs) and i didn't know we were going to run out of data storage like (laughs) there's a you know there's good reason to invest some money into this technology i mean they're definitely so there's the semiconductor research corporation which is a conglomerate of, of, of some of the semiconductor folks who are looking at the data storage. So they have this semi-sin bio program where they outline some of the roadmaps of some of the technologies that they're interested in. DNA data storage is one of them, definitely. Um, and so, you know, I think, you know, the big players like Amazon, Google, and Microsoft, Microsoft is already like doing some, you know, research R&D on this, obviously with their Karen Strauss and Louis Seize in um, doing really a lot of the uh, work early, but with really funding a lot of the directions on this uh, on this area. I mean, I mean, so the, I don't like the word moonshot. I think it's, it's become cliche now. But I think like if if, if one treats DNA as a moonshot, there there are a lot of verticals that that could emerge from this. Like for example, oh, yeah. like if if for example they spend some billions of dollars trying to figure out DNA right. Like it's not just data storage. All of a sudden, synthetic biology gets gets some gets some um, gets something out of it because you know to write really really long letters of DNA uh, for synthetic biology for therapeutics. You know, there's there's this there's this craze about gene editing now. Um, there's you know writing DNA uh, at very, for very very long DNA at very high purity and low error rates <clears throat> would be. A boon for that industry. So it's not just the Indian storage. Now there's there's this whole area that it's affecting. The random access sure. uh, point that you know, uh, if you can use the DNA as a storage device, then all of a sudden you can you can sort of take a snapshot of all the DNA of everyone in the in the world, all the species in the world right now that you can't do with current freezer technologies. It's just too mm-hmm. expensive, right? Um, um, and and to it, it's almost impossible to do with the amount of energy required to store all of that. Now all of a sudden you can do that, which we can't do anymore. We can't do right now. And on the act and the and the read side where sequencing is like, if we drop the cost of sequencing to pennies, uh, that's gonna be huge for all of this, um, um, you know, uh, personal genomics uh, sort of businesses oh, sure. that are booming right now. So that's the way I think about data storage. Like putting a lot of money in here is not just gonna be on just. You know the the semiconductor industry, but also there are other verticals where um, there's going to be a lot of um, boon for them. Yeah, there's just tremendous spinoff potential. <laughs> exactly. Like, <laughs> if you talk to uh, a kid who, who's presumably not part of your family, since your family seems to to get the started <laughs> really early on this, <laughs> when we talk to like you know your, your traditional kid playing with sidewalk chalk. But um, how do you, how would you explain like what you do? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, that's uh, pretty hard. Like what, what age? Like, uh, so, you know, like a five-year-old would have, would have no concept of like data yet. Like I don't think they're in TikTok yet. So it's hard to explain like, you know, but maybe, you know, like for example, if I would explain to a five-year-old, you know, like I would say I have a nephew in California who's probably like three years old. Uh, you know, he, he, he loves the movie Cars. Maybe I would, the way I would say it's like, you know, you know, that movie Cars, you know, like all your, or all that, all that YouTube videos, he has, he has an iPad, he gets glued into it. Like all those videos, um, uh, you know, you, you, you know, all that is stored somewhere like in a, in a warehouse that is as big as your house. And, you know, what I'm doing, trying to do is to make sure to minimize that 
house into something that can fit on your palm of your hand so that you know you can watch all of those movies for free Dem- democratizing uh you know, democratizing is probably not a <laughs> five-year-old would understand um but but you know, like someone older who understands a little bit about well um uh, about the, about the concept of data it's like i would say you know the fact that i have you know average height um black uh, black hair and, and brown eyes is because a lot of that is encoded in my DNA. That information is encoded in my DNA, um, and so like that's that's a lot of data. Uh, and not just that, not just like my appearance, but like a lot of the things that's happening in my body is encoded in that DNA. So there's the, that tiny, tiny molecule that inside this, our our body contains a lot of information um, already. And you know, what if we can do? What if we start putting that data? that we generate like through our mobile phones uh, into that tiny, tiny piece of DNA. And so that's, and that's what I wanted to, that's what I want to achieve is basically put all that data you generate uh, and that's that you never have to delete anything again. Um, You know, it's, it's, it's no, I don't want to pay Apple any more premiums on just to buy a 512 gigabyte phone uh, uh-huh. <laughs> and pay uh, Apple. Uh, no, that that just is annoying. As, as it yeah. So it sounds like pretty soon we'll, we'll almost literally have thumb drives, right? Yeah, literally. That's the literal thumb drive. <laughs> like maybe maybe fingernail drive um, is probably mm-hmm. like what we're trying to do with DNA data storage. Yeah. That's uh, that's an amazing story, James. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea of just putting the DNA for all the animals into like a little cube. Cause then we can send it to Mars, you know, just in case. Yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. One of the like fashion projects I have is I I'm from Australia. Uh, and so like the fire, the Australian bushfires was an eye opener for me. Like the amount of damage it did for the Australian, um, you know, wild, uh, wildlife is just insane. Mm. And, you know, I was, I was there, uh, 2019 and I was working at the end of the storage. And I was like, what if I, I think my technology can do something about storing a snapshot of, of those animals somehow and, you know, send it to moon, send it to the moon and sort of like, but I don't know who's going to pay for it. Like, should I ask Bill Gates? Should I ask Eric Smith? I'm like, uh, who's going to pay for that? But it's something that we, sh- we as a... Call them up. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, Someone but- might buy it. We're going back to the moon maybe in 2024. Yeah. <laughs> You know, like the we have actually called the frozen zoo and the frozen ark. You know, the frozen zoo in San Diego here in the U.S. The frozen ark in the in London, and there's another uh, Svalbard um, uh, seed bank in. I can't remember, is it Norway? Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe something like that. Something somewhere in the like where it's always cold, and, and basically we're storing a lot of our um, diversity in there, taking snapshots of that. But um, to me, I think like where this is where like some of the Again, the the verticals that I see for DNA storage is like, if we can figure out a way to store like a lot of the snapshots that we have of our society right now, and, and you know maybe you know 20, 50 years or hundred years from now, we want to look back and see what what we are as a society in terms of the diversity, you know some some record of that, um, you know because if you try to do it now um, in current technology, you can't just put your all the sequences in the cloud, you know, we're getting around the data <laughs> all of a sudden now. Like it becomes a chicken and egg problem. Like, oh, I have to store all the sequences because when you do sequencing, you get a lot of this very big file of data, all, all the sequences. And all of a sudden you get out of data. <laughs> so it becomes a chicken and egg problem. But if you can just st- store that DNA, the molecule of that, that encodes that, that, that organism, 
and take a snapshot of that and store an art uh, catalog of that of our society uh, in 2020 or 2021 mm -hmm. um, i think that would be an important thing to do right now considering of climate change and stuff like that so i don't know i don't know who's gonna fund that but it's definitely a passion project of mine that, you know i've been pitching to like other folks who would like to they, they thought it was an interesting idea but you know where to get the money is another question. Yeah. <laughs> Would you volunteer to be in the database? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm always, um, th there's always going to be, you know, people who are like, oh, I don't like Big Brother. You know, I don't like <laughs> There'll be little clones of you in the future when we need more humans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm not, I'm not like, I don't have any issue uh, with, uh, with, uh, uh, with that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean that's that's for sure. Uh, that's that's definitely an argument against for that. It's you know surveillance and you know you, you, your DNA being used to you know um, uh, to discriminate folks. So that, that 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 there's 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 definitely some ethical arguments against that. James, it's it's uh, it's a inspirational uh, picture you paint of of how we can sort of get through some of the the sort of just moving like lack of atoms that we have like in terms of silicon to be able to get past that and the ways that we may be able to may be able to preserve just as an insurance policy against us uh, as humans kind of screwing things up sometimes as a way to help <laughs> pr protect nature yeah. in one way or the other um, yeah at least have a picture of it you know like a snapshot yeah. uh, <laughs> so that you know we can go back oh that's how you, how how koala used to look like how a woolly mammoth like you know it's just funny like we were like now looking at how, what the woolly mammoth or dinosaurs will look like, you know, that's going to be who we are probably 50 years from now or like 100 mm -hmm. years from now. <laughs> we said looking back, hey, that's where we are in society. Hopefully longer than that. <laughs> <laughs> like look at 2020. I think we're going to last longer because there's, there's, you know, people like you, you know, working on stuff that's going to solve some really serious problems that aren't even on most people's radar yet. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's for we sure. Just, we just got to keep you in the lab, James. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. My PI knows that. Like, yeah, uh, definitely. Like him, like supporting me going back to the lab. And there's COVID. Like, yeah, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, James, uh, it's been really great. We, we, we've we've come up to, to to time. I want to be respectful of that. Yep. Um, do you have uh, any final uh, points that you'd like to to tell either us or or to the audience? Uh, yeah, I mean, um, um, so I think, you know, I think there's, um, there's a lot of challenges that, you know, there, uh, for, I mean, DNA the storage is set up for a cool story. If you go back to how it started from these humble beginnings, um, to now, um, and, and just like, I look out for like the next, uh, the next generation of digital DNA, uh, um, digital data storage. Uh, but it's, it's going to take a long time. And I think some people are skeptic about it and just i just want to like tell like people that you know it, some some technologies that takes time you know the, uh, integrating circuit integrated circuits then we didn't have our computers right now so it took a long time so you know i think people who are really excited in the field like, like when are we going to get that it's going to get 20 years from now i think it needs to be a little bit more patient you know technology just takes a long time and I think everyone everyone's trying to get that uh, this technology as, as quickly as possible, um, and so and, and that's it. Yeah, if you're interested in, in, in learning about DNA storage, yeah, I'm, I'm always happy to uh, you know schedule a call and stuff like that. Yeah.
Well, thanks for watching this episode of Tough Tech Today. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. In two weeks, we'll be sitting down with Louis Perna of Axion Systems. He's the co-founder of a company that's using electrospray thrusters to revolutionize the small satellite industry. Thanks for joining, and we'll catch you on the next show. Thank you.